Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and I'm here to ask you a very, very simple question. When is an episode of the Empire Podcast not an episode of the Empire Podcast? And this is the answer, because this isn't a regular episode of the Empire Podcast, folks. No, this is an interim episode of the Empire Podcast. We took two weeks off over Christmas. We're not back with the regular show until January 13th. That is next week. But this week I was I was bereft. We had nothing to record. There was a big gap just waiting there on January 6th. And I needed something to fill that gap. And then I had a wonderful idea. Let's get Team Empire together to preview 2023. I don't think we've ever done this before. Old dog, new tricks, all that stuff. Uh, And so, therefore, we have convened in the pod booth three colleagues of such lethal cunning to talk about the films of 2023 and bring you an interview with Noah Baumbach because I don't have anywhere else to put it. What was that? What? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Anyway, those three colleagues of such lethal cunning are, as you've heard already, our geek queen, Helen O'Hara. Hello. All the way from Los Angeles, our West Coast correspondent, one of the greatest people on the planet. You know him as James White. We know him as Jaime Blanco. Welcome, welcome in the flesh. How are you? Hello. Uh, thank you. Uh, I am good. I am good. I'm not jet lagged at all, which is nice. You shouldn't be because you arrived here about three weeks ago. I mean, <laughs> potato, potato. <laughs> <laughs> And he's not in the studio today, but we're taking advantage of some super duper technology uh, to listen to him uh, anyway. That's hope he is clothed and not masturbating. It is, of course, our great big fucking nerd, James Dyer. Hello. I'm very excited to be a disembodied voice in your ears. I think our relationship should proceed like this going forward. It it really should. Um, (laughs) It really shouldn't is what I meant to say. There we go. There we go. We need to have you in the studio uh, from now on. Or we can Uh, keep an eye on him. So, yeah, we're we'll keeping an eye on you precisely. Uh, so I, you know, I thought we did a big old review of the year just before the the year ended. That is tradition. We do that every single year. Uh, and I thought we don't really look ahead to the year ahead. Mm. Uh, so I thought, you know, let's get together and do that. But let's not do the usual rote. Let's go through the the year month by month thing. So I got you all to come up with top tens, the top mm. ten films that you are most excited about this year. Now I will say this: there will be some overlap. Mm-hmm. because there are some films we're all excited about. All right? Yeah. I will also say this. <laughs> Me and James have the same number one. <laughs> I imagine that you do. I imagine that you do. For balance, your number one is not my top ten. I didn't think it would be. <laughs> but I, I, I love the first one. Sure. Love the first one. Sure. We're talking about Hubie Halloween, right? <laughs> Murder, Murder Mystery 2! Murder Mystery Oh my two. God! Oh, shit. <laughs> you oh my God. genuinely... Oh. Let the record show that Chris is genuinely rewriting his top ten oh my God. right now. I saw that on the list of films coming out this year and I thought, Chris is going to mention that. Well, oh. I was wrong until this Surely. very moment. Well, we have a new... I've just written rural juror. Uh, murder, mystery, two. <laughs> Fuck me, catastrophe averted. <laughs> Jesus. Here was you thinking that oh. The Equalizer 3 was the only film that was rocking your world <laughs> next year. but or This year, but no. That's right. My no. top ten films of the year list is actually only two films. <laughs> Equalizer 3 and Murder, Mystery 2. Every, everything else can go hang as far as I'm concerned. But, uh, but yes, I love the first one. We'll get onto it in a second. Uh, and I'm very much anticipating the second one. But there are a few other films that I'm anticipating. Just just a little more, a smidge more. The second thing I wanted to say before we get into this is that Megan doesn't count. Because mm. Megan is out next week. The first masterpiece. <laughs> and I may even go this far. 
by the by the time the the year is over and the dust has settled, the only masterpiece of twenty twenty three will be Megan. Uh, so therefore, that is not going to be on anyone's most anticipated films list. So just because it's too close, it's too close. It's yeah. too close. It's too close. Helen, a, a bit like white noise is a bit too close, oh, don't you think? And oh. before we get into our top tens for the year, why don't we look back? Why don't we look back a little <laughs> bit at White Noise, Noah Baumbach's latest movie, which is currently streaming on Netflix. And Helen, you interviewed Noah Baumbach, didn't you? I did. For the for the very final day, really, the very final release day of last year. So really, it's a wrap-up of 2022. And it's a wrap-up. A look ahead to 2023, in a, in a manner of speaking. What? I think, I think thematically, this fits quite beautifully. Super well. Quite beautifully. Not, and this is not, not shoehorned at all. Not shoehorned. And this isn't an episode that I have created out of whole cloth just to house the Noah Baumbach interview. And I, I'd like to thank you to keep your accusations to yourselves. While you're listening to this wonderful interview that Helen did with Noah Baumbach, director of White Noise, available now on Netflix, do enjoy. To my shame, I hadn't read this book, so I had no idea what to expect, and the film kept surprising me and surprising me. Uh, when when did you first come across it? Is this something you read years and years ago and sort of returned to? It's yeah, it's something I read. Uh, my dad had given it to me in the late '80s, and I read it uh, when I was a te- sort of older teenager, and loved it and. Then there are various sort of piece images from it that had stayed with me over the years, the pill and the cloud and the motel and the man in the motel and the secrets and but i i hadn't i didn't have any uh any ambition to to do anything about it i just uh i but i just I randomly picked it up again and started reading it again uh, at the end of 2019 and into the beginning of 2020. And I kept, while I was reading it, I kept reading passages aloud to Greta and saying, like, can you believe this? This is, it just feels, I just felt like it was expressing all of this, these things that I was feeling about life now. I mean, it's life always in America, I think, but it's, it's, uh, and it has that, there's something about the book that feels like it could have been written after any, any event you'd be like, I can't believe this is, uh, but of course, when the pandemic, uh, happened, I, it, it was just another layer of strange uncanniness about that book that felt like it was that, that it was speaking, it certainly was speaking to me about the moment. And I felt like it was, there's a way I could express myself in a movie that uh, express how I was feeling through this story. Yeah, because it does, it feels incredibly contemporary for something, you know, set and written in the 80s. And you've got all these ideas about you know consumerism and and the media and and this kind of rolling continuous media that that feels absolutely now it feels it feels absolutely up to the minute which I guess is just a sign of how good Don DeLillo is but you know it's I I I didn't expect anything like this going into it it's amazing yeah uh, well yeah it's like everything you said is only amplified louder now. <laughs> And even the, the the portrayal of academia as the sort of you know competing for students almost that feels like that has only grown and grown mm-hmm. in the years since this was written as well. Yeah, and academia as a, in some ways, is another way of commodifying 
culture and 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 flattening out meaning you know i mean it's it's that you could find a a, a situation where hitler and elvis are sort of mean the same thing in some way yeah i mean that that is an incredible scene in the film with with you know simultaneous hitler and elvis lecture going on if i saw one review that described it as as competitive but but at the same time it almost felt cooperative and like a duet mm -hmm. almost that yeah. they're sort of playing off each other yeah and we choreographed it that way as well so that there that it was like a dance and like a and like a duet absolutely i mean a lot of the movie was choreographed that that scene it's more expressive and 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 more out front but but all the scenes really all the scenes with movement we choreographed in 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 a similar uh way so that 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 there was a kind of dance and song that was that was uh uh embedded in in inside the you know the the sequences so so i mean i know that another part you choreographed apart from the the dance at the end which i want to talk about because that was amazing but um was also the family scenes and that sense of a big kind of rambunctious family all tumbling over each other with ideas, physically tumbling over each other, getting breakfast mm -hmm. and everything at the same time. That felt wildly true to me, having come from a family of four kids myself. You know, that also had to be kind of quite carefully choreographed, I think, just to get that level of of maybe ease with each other. Is that right? Absolutely. And, and rehearsed. And we rehearsed it in the in in on the sets as well because i wanted everybody to know what's their glass you know if, particularly the kids like which which mcdonald's glass do you use which one's yours which one's yours uh where is the silverware which way does that cabinet open you know things that are somewhat simple but they are part of our routines we don't when we go into our own kitchens we we it is like a dance we know exactly where everything is we know how to get around each other we're you know you're not bumping into each other you're in you're in this this flow of life and the first part of the movie in particular is is about that flow of life and about these routines and these rituals and and ultimately these strategies that we 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 have for ourselves so as not to confront ourselves uh, in, in many cases. And, um, but I think there's also real beauty and, and, and joy in that as well. And I wanted to express that in the movement and in the dialogue. We, we, um, we mic'd everybody individually so that I would have the, the freedom later to isolate dialogue or play it all as, as one sound. Just one chaotic noise. Yeah, one chaotic sound. Um, I also, my direction to the kids essentially was you're like a radio that's been turned on at the beginning of the movie and you're going to be on for the whole movie. And whether you're in the scene or not, just assume you're still talking. And when you come back in, <laughs> you're just in the middle of one long conversation. Yeah. Some, from some of the interviews I read with Greta, that very much happened. They would just go straight from dialogue into their conversation, back into dialogue. When well, you they, they would again. do that, yeah, as 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 real people as well. They would between uh, you know when we were cutting, they would go out of the dialogue of the movie and then just start talking about <laughs> whatever they were talking about, and it would have the same the same song would be playing. That's awesome. So tell me about these different parts of the movie because that has got to have been. I imagine the most difficult part of the adaptation process is this is a big book. It's a book full of big ideas, and you've got to try and boil this down 
into movie length, basically. Right. How do you, you know, where did you start? What did you decide to focus on as your kind of through lines? Well, yeah, and of course, in the beginning, when you, when when I was adapting the book, that everything in the book was so uh, exciting to me and funny and observant. So I I had uh, the first my first pass would include so many different things and and it's really once i got through this this first sort of chunk of of of, of screenplay then i could look at it as its own thing and then i could start working the screenplay and at that point it started to become more my thing or my my interpretation now of the book so then th- things would reveal themselves to me more as is either unnecessary or superfluous uh, or repetitive in a way that I felt I didn't need, and I would, uh, and I would then start excising things, combining things, and then inventing even within that. And and uh, uh, but as a result, then there's so much good stuff that's not in the movie. <laughs> I mean, and I would go back to the book occasionally later. If I was looking for something or I remembered something, maybe I cut, I thought I could put back or something. And then I would read, be rereading the book again and be like, God, there's so much good stuff. I, I didn't, <laughs> why is this not in the movie? Why didn't I pick that? You know, but you know, it, 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 it's sort of, it's, it, it, it becomes its own thing. And you, you know, you have, I felt like I, you just follow what, it, what feels like now the movie. So you could do white noise too with basically all the other bits. All the other bits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I do want to talk about just the way it's shot as well, because you've got the sort of the disaster sequence in the sort of the middle of the movie felt very ambling to me. It felt very kind of 80s, you know, kids, family action movie, mm-hmm. if you like. Um, and then you have this fantastical, brightly lit, beautifully colored dance scene at the end. So you really, it felt like you were experimenting with things and just letting you yourself be led by by the moment. Is that is that fair? Well, it, it feels that way, although it was all very planned. <laughs> um, uh, but I'm glad it feels that way. Well, the book felt that way to me, and the book uses tro- sort of tropes of American narratives, culture, language, and it does it in in a very literary way. And I felt like, well, I, my job was to find these cinematic analogs for those things, and a lot of it was the language of these movies, these movies, and often movies from the, a lot of movies from the 80s because it's when it took place. It's also formative time in my childhood of when I was discovering movies sort of on my own. And, and um, I mean, it, as opposed to things my parents maybe brought me to or, and, and uh, so I sort of, and, and much of what the movie's about is how we've essentially we we absorb all of this stuff from entertainment and 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 sometimes it becomes hard to distinguish between what's on TV and what's what's really in our what's our what what's really our lives i mean that you see it with the family in in the movie where when real danger is coming they somehow can't it takes them a long time to acknowledge it the kids are ahead of it but the parents are sort of feel like well this can't actually be happening this is only something that happens somewhere else and i think i think it's something certainly i related very strongly to that feeling when the with the pandemic which was well can't happen here yeah it's not happening over here it's happening somewhere else and 
and so I, I felt, well, this is a way I can express, you know, that that sort of, I mean, uh, how we, you know, just, I mean, I think it really, one of the things the movie is really about is sort of this changing idea of death. I mean, this idea that we have that death is, is it's, we, we, we make part of our entertainment. It's the car crashes in the beginning of the movie. It's the, it's watching a plane crash in New Zealand on your television. Um, and it becomes hard to really, you know, it's hard, it's hard anyway. And this is a way that we maybe bring it closer and also keep it at a distance. Uh, and when it really comes in the form of the cloud, it, it, changes how they all go back to life you know i mean and and can you go back to the same strategies and rituals that you that you did before and if you can how does it change those things and does it change those things and in the movie it does and you know and it changes visually the camera changes in part three the the, we shoot the family in the supermarket in the beginning of the movie we essentially just move with them it's fairly straightforward when we're with them in in part three both times that and then of course at the end with the dance sequence the camera suddenly does things that it it's that it couldn't possibly have done before it's it's sort of liberated in a way and i think that's part of what i see too is i mean there's a cynical way of looking at it of sort of like oh we're all just going back and shopping but there's also i feel real beauty and joy and liberation in that we've been also something that that has released us from you know maybe there's this sort of prisons that we've sort of <laughs> made for ourselves you see it with the family too the family essentially death is what keeps them apart and also what brings them together in the end and jack and babette are closer but they've also gone through a lot to get there and had to go into areas that they you know may not have wanted to go to yeah and, and taken some odd odd steps along some odd the way. steps and almost killed a man <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, it's fine. They got him to a hospital. They got him to a hospital and they're back at the supermarket. (laughs) Um, No, I I thought it was, I I just thought it was so original. And like I say, just unlike anything I'd ever seen before. I have to ask just quickly before I I let you go, um, you know, your your household is also working on a Barbie movie. Do you see any kind of common threads between that and this? Um, I do, actually. I mean, they were both written in the pandemic. And I think... In, in in the best way, both have a touch of madness in there <laughs> uh, that, that uh, you know, that was maybe particular to our headspaces at that time. <laughs> and a bit more choreography there, I think. As There's well, also choreography in both. Yeah. I mean, essentially, both have uh, are are kind of like musicals in a, in a sense, even when they're not literally like musicals. Can't wait for that one. And, and thanks again for this one. That was Noah Baumbach, director of White Noise. And tell you what, if he had a film out this year, it would be high on my most anticipated films of the year list, along with Helen dropping stuff. What did you just Sorry, drop? What I just, did you dropped just dropped my dropped? phone. Sorry. We're trying to... Dropped me. To, you dropped me. No, I'm trying to Ouch. make... I'm trying to make it so there's not a light shining in your face. James, Anywho. James is on Zoom right now, yeah. uh, zooming in. Uh, let's start with Blanco. Yes. Well, I was actually going to segue from... Bombback, if I'm honest. Okay, all right, Mr. Bombback, task. Because a, a film that I suspect may not be on your all of your top tens, uh-huh. um, but should be. Yes, is by his, is by his partner in crime, if you will, is by Greta Gerwig, and it is Barbie. 
That's um, on my list. That is, I thought I thought it would be on some list. I don't think it's maybe on all three of your lists. It's not my list because I knew it would be on your list. And also, yeah. I don't know how much I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I'm a little scared of Barbie. I'm yeah, scared, you know, uh, confused, definitely, intrigued for sure. Aroused? Um, I mean, maybe a little. They're all very good looking people. They are all very good looking um, people. But I'm, I'm mostly just amused. I, I just, I have no idea what this film is and I cannot wait to find out. The and trailer is if it's kiss. if it's half as good as the trailer i think we're in for an absolute treat if it's half as long as the trailer we're in for a treat <laughs> if it's half as long as the trailer it might not be worth the money but if it is <laughs> half know. as good as the trailer we're going to be in for in for something <laughs> special and wasn't it simu lu was uh, persuaded to sign up for it because his agent said it was genuinely the best script he'd ever read um, well sounds good to me i mean a, yeah. you know agents are not necessarily known for their 100% fidelity to the facts mm. however you know, those are strong words, and I'd like someone to hold them, him to them. And also, apparently, yeah. it's only a minute and a half long. So, there you go. Jimbo, it's on your, it's on your list? Uh, it's on my list. You're not Jimbo Blanco. You're Blanco. He's Sorry. Jimbo. Jeez. You call me Jimbo sometimes. It's confusing. I never call you Jimbo. I have never called you Jimbo. When have I called you Jimbo? Tell me one time. You can't. All right, Jimbo. <laughs> In your in your weird wank dungeon. Uh, oh no! <laughs> what you said, naked podcast. I'm here for the naked podcast. I'm disappointed to see you're all wearing clothes. So uh, you're, you're excited about Barbie, but I'm very very glad to see it's just cinematically. I was about to say you're saying I'm excited, presumably from what I'm saying, not from how I look. But uh, yes, I am. In fact, I've numbered my list. My list is numbered. I have a numerical list. So I wasn't sure how we were going to do this. We're going to count down. Barbie is at my number six. Okay, it is at my okay. number six. Yep. Good. Yes. Good. Where is it on yours, Helen? I think it was five. Five. I, I can't get the list up because I've got Zoom open. So we can well, see James. Sorry. I've replaced the list. <laughs> Zoom troglodytes. You I can, sent you, you the list. You can do both. You can do both. You can do both. You can. You can <laughs> All right. All right. I'll do both. Uh, Blanco, is it, Barbie on your list? Barbie is not on my list. Not because I am not looking forward to it. I very much am. It's because, like you, Why I do you hate women. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to answer that one. <laughs> Minefield stepping away. Uh, I'm. I, it was more that I figured it would be on Helen's list for sure. So I thought, let's have some variety. Unbelievable. Uh, what is number ten in your list? Number ten in my list, somewhat fittingly, I think, is Fast X. Oh, Fast Ten. Fast Ten. Your seatbelts. Dom Toretto is coming to the movies uh, once again. Not on my Fair list. Me. That's how disappointed I was by Fast Nine. And uh, let's be honest, we've been we've been on a downward curve since Fast Five. Yeah, which apparently was the pinnacle either. of all human achievement. Yeah, I mean, but. you know, it's hard to go up from Fast Five, isn't it? But um, I, I still love Fast Seven. I, I had issues with Fast Nine. I'm excited about Fast Ten, but for the same reasons you, it didn't make my top ten. Mm. Mm. Didn't mean, make your top X. Hey, indeed. Yeah, but yeah, it should be it should be a ton of fun. But no, it didn't it didn't move the needle for me. I mean, uh, I it's, must say it's fair, but at given Fast Nine, which uh, I should probably not talk about too much anyway because people seem to hate it. But it's, it's sort of the casting of, of Fast 10. People like Jason Momoa, mm. Brie Larson, people like that. Could be a lot of fun. Good it people. Sh- absolutely should Could be, yeah. be a lot yeah. of fun. Is yeah. this going to be the year of Brie? Because she is also in the Marvels, of course. Yes. Uh, which is uh, a film I'm very, very much looking forward to. I'll say that mm. it and Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania didn't make my top 10 list. But again, Ant-Man's so close. Uh, you know, and, and I didn't want to cram it full of MCU films. But, you know, it's a given. Yeah. It's an MCU film. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. And and seeing Iman Vellani back as as Ms. Marvel will be a treat. 
Mm. So I think that'll be really good fun as well. Yeah. And we don't know what that movie is or where nope. it's going to take place or who's nope. going to be in it. Nope. We, you know, we know that's the one we know least about this year in terms of mm. the MCU. We know a fair amount about Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. I may or may not have spoken to some people involved with that film recently, and and I know a, a little bit about it, possibly, uh, allegedly. <laughs> and that's very, very exciting. You know, very visually different from the first two Ant-Man mm-hmm. movies. No Sonny Birch, which is in the uh, merit column, but in the merit column, everything else. So mm-hmm. could be a lot of yes. fun. The Marvels looks great. Uh, from I know nothing about it apart from it's got three Captain Marvels. Yeah. But it feels like a second chance to me. Like, I really liked Captain Marvel as a character. I thought she was great. I thought that first film was patchy. Mm. Uh, and I think it had some pacing issues. Good last act, but it, not so good yeah, before then. Exactly that. And and so I, so I really want to see that character get a second stab at this. So I think she was really good in, in Infinity War and Endgame, uh, or rather in Endgame, I should say, not in Infinity War, because we don't count the post-credits scene as really being in it. But, uh, you know, I like that character. I think she's fun. And I want to see how she interacts with the other Marvels as well. So yeah, this was up there. Like in, in my MCU, I only put one MCU in my top 10. Again, for the same reasons I think that you did. I didn't want it to be a big Marvel fest. But also there is one I am excited about above all others. Which is? Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. Okay, I'm just going to mute Helen for a second. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I didn't say none. <laughs> On I'm account excited. of them being the greatest Marvel team of all. Yeah. This okay, is true, until that. Thunderbolts comes along. Uh, <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> when you've seen Ghost and Red Guardian banter, oh, that's good. It's, I, uh, even I can't get excited about that one. But anyway, I will. In the fullness of time, in the fullness of time, I will be excited about it. What do you mean? It's going to be all Val all the time. Everyone's excited about that. Yeah, that's what I everyone lo- wants. I like Red Guardian. I like Red Guardian. Yeah, he's I like funny. Ghost. Yeah, yeah. I like Bucky Barnes. I like yeah. Bucky. I like, yeah, I know you like Bucky. Yeah, just, <laughs> <laughs> <Mid> Bucky, Bucky. <laughs> uh, I like, and I like Yelena. I like Yelena Belova. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I like mm-hmm. many of the other people who are in that film. <laughs> cool. I can't remember. Yeah. So that's 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 anyway, good. But they're not the Guardians. No. They're not the Guardians. No. Uh, Guardians. And it's Drax's last hurrah, as we now know for definite, as he said in his recent interview with, uh, was it GQ? It was GQ, GQ wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Very good interview, actually. People should read it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, and I love Drax and and I love the whole team and while I may not have been hugely enamoured with the holiday special for it was a bit slight uh, I'm very very psyched about this I love the holiday special I just didn't like volume 2 but I have I'm hopeful that volume 3 will be at mm. least as good as the first I but you're right yeah, but I'm with Helen on this. I think Volume 2 is a flawed movie, but I think it's flawed because of the main story, not because of the characters. And I think I really enjoyed spending time with the characters and had lots of fun with them. It was the whole ego storyline that just bored the tits off me. So I think having those characters and actually having a really compelling story, that's what I'm here for. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, I mean, assigning value to these things when you're putting a top 10 list together is utterly arbitrary, but <laughs> it was number one on my list, which is impressive given that we're also in a year where there's a new Mission movie and a new John Wick and a new Adam Sandler. But <laughs> two of those three, two of those three appear on my list also. <laughs> on either side of Barbie, in fact. You're uh, excited yeah. about Murder Mystery 2, Helen, three, as well. Four, five. That uh, was I, not I, the one. I like that. Yeah, I like yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, yeah, I'm, I'm massively looking forward to this. I've said this before, we did a, a big Guardians holiday special, uh, spoiler special, which was also a breakdown of the the teaser trailer for Volume 3 and I think this movie is going to break me quite honestly I love these characters so much and we're going to be saying goodbye to a few of them permanently I think obviously we'll see I would you know I put money on a few of them being in Kang uh, Dynasty and Secret Wars you know I would be amazed if Chris Pratt wasn't around in the in the long term 
Uh, but a few of them, I think, are going to be for the choppy block in a wild bunch style and it's uh, it's going to be mm. tears all round. Maybe they're just going to go and live on a farm like Bucky. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. Who did literally go and live on the farm, remember? That is absolutely you true. Were, you he were did. all convinced he was going to die and I was like, no, he's going to go up and live on a farm upstate and I was pretty much 100% That's right. on that. So That's right. They're just going to go live on a farm. Blanco, I'm going to stick with you again. What's ah. number nine on your list? Number nine on my list is a little film I like to call Cocaine Bear. <laughs> <laughs> partly because of the trailer, partly because I have seen a little bit more of it. <gasps> just a just a, a bit, just a one scene, one scene. I went to I went to an event in the old Los Angeles there where they showed the trailer and then they showed a scene which is basically they basically take half of it and use it for the trailer it's the ambulance scene essentially mm, right. but it's bits before and sort of just after that and honestly it looks like an absolute blast it looks like so much crazy fun and I like the idea that that Elizabeth Banks is basically creating a revenge story for the bear. She feels so bad about the real life bear who got into the cocaine and unfortunately died. Because it's a cautionary tale to all yeah, bears. It is, yeah. isn't it? it is. Don't do drugs, bears. Yeah. I mean, what Rob Williams said uh, for bears, <laughs> Rupert, uh, cocaine is God's way of saying that you have too much money. Too much money. <laughs> and bears should be uh, uh, definitely aware of that. They should absolutely. So yeah, so uh, uh, featuring bears on rampages. If it's if it's Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, or or Cocaine Bear, give me Cocaine Bear every single day. All right, I I still prefer Marmalade Bear. Uh, if I'm honest, I believe he has another name, but that's what I call him, Marmalade Bear. Bear. Funny enough, exactly. Cocaine Bear is my gamertag. It's, uh, it's interesting. <laughs> I think most films this year would be improved by the injection of cocaine into both the movie and the title. Wouldn't mm. you rather go see Cocaine Dune Part Two? <laughs> no. No? No, I'd rather... Cocaine Barbie, I mean, on the other it's hand. Kind of, you know, <laughs> okay, that, that's intriguing. But but Dune already has a drug going on. You don't want to compete it's with true. the Spice Malone. Yeah. Spice Bear is a film I'd watch. Cocaine Spice John Bear. Wick. Who wouldn't, who wouldn't see that film? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's already implied. I feel, I feel like it is. Uh, anyway, all right, good. Is Cocaine Bear on your list, Helen? Uh, it's not. It was a close call, actually. I went in the end for... Possibly because I'd been reading that same GQ interview with, yeah. uh, with Dave Bautista. I went for a knock at the cabin. Now, I mm. read the book The Cabin at the End of the World yes. recently and it's a fantastic story it's it really good. really great um, all the word on him not just in that article is very good and um, and I'm I'm kind of intrigued to see how on earth they put that on screen so I'm I'm optimistic for that one so yeah so that was so this my is number a, nine a, a couple um, a, uh, two guys and a young daughter yep and who a, a go cabin. off for a, yeah, a lovely break in, a, yep. in an idyllic cabin I think by a lake in the book mm -hmm. and yeah, then several strangers knock at the door and say well I don't want to even say what they say I well, think let's, I let's think the less say, you know about it going in the better I'm, I'm very intrigued by this because there's been a, people are slightly up in arms on Twitter about this because the name change from a cabin at the end of the world mm. which is a better title to knock at the cabin, which is a bad uh, title. There seems to people think that the author of the book, Paul Tremblay, has been erased somewhat in this. Now, I wonder if that title change is significant. Who knows? We shall mm -hmm. see. But uh, that that should give you an idea of what realm we're in here. But uh, yeah, I'm intrigued. I really love the book. If the book follows, if the film follows the book, it's going to be um, a very interesting film. 
So, but very, it's very cool. it's yeah. not on my list because I think uh, it's I'm again not, it's it's quite soon. It, it's know, soon, so. but also he's a little bit. Um, this is M Night Shyamalan. M Night Shyamalan. Yeah. yeah, he has been a bit <laughs> all over the place of late. True, so. yes. I know, but yeah. I'm you know I'm keeping the faith with that one. I'll be honest. There, there's there's some optimism. Do you want do you want to hear more of a sure thing? Okay, which, which is on my list. Um, Killers of the Flower Moon. Yes, Scorsese is on yes. my list now. Um, Regular listeners may know that the reason I really want to see this is I don't understand the budget and I am fascinated to see where the money went. I really, I cannot wait to see how this film that you could absolutely make for $2 million was initially budgeted at two hundred. I I cannot, cannot wait. So I am, I am absolutely fascinated to see that. But it is also, um, you know, great, great sort of fertile ground for Martin Scorsese. He's, of course, assembled a, an amazing cast led by DiCaprio and De Niro, my God, uh, mm-hmm. to lead it. So it's it's very exciting in its own right, but also for me as a nerd, I'm, I just, I need to know. I must yes. know, man. I, th- I think it was Jesse Plemons. His rider is enormous. That would, that would make sense. Well, as we he always say, it. when life gives you Plemons, you make Plemonade. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, yeah, that, that's one of the big Oscar movies. And when I was looking at the release schedule, the big Oscar stuff, like the big heavy hitters, there's mm. a David Fincher film, The Killer, not a remake mm. of the John Woo film, but um, a, a, th- a thriller, nevertheless, starring Michael Fassbender. But you try and think of the big, yeah, traditionally, back. yeah, and, but he's back also in, in Taika Waititi's Next Goal Wins, which, which is, is finally also on my being list. released. Yeah, also really. on my list, yeah. Uh, the, the long delay in that movie is making me less excited about it. Um, I have to say, it does. I mean, it does feel like maybe it's not a winner. Look, but I we feel like see. I feel like. Well, I mean, that would be thematic if it wasn't. But um, <laughs> I feel like Taika Waititi has had other things on his on his mind, on his plate. Not least, of course, Thor and about a million other projects that he's been developing, and you know, getting married and all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it, it could have other reasons than quality to be delayed. I like that you're willing to embrace the optimistic uh, every day is Christmas Eve, uh, after all. But really, the, the big heavy-heading Oscar films haven't been dated yet. No. Some of them may even still be being made right now. Um, so this is going to be a much more commercially-minded list, commercially-driven list. We're going off stuff that has been dated for the most part. There are things that are on my list that haven't really been dated. Murder Mystery 2 hasn't been given a, an official date. I don't know when that's coming out. Well, because there are, Netflix. There, Netflix. There are a couple of things that are going to be coming out this year. Two huge action movies that I'm really, really excited about. Matthew Fawn's Argyle, which is a spy movie, which you know I've, I've, I've heard very good things about. And then there's Gareth Evans, you know, from my money, the greatest action director on the planet, returning to the action genre with a film called Havoc, starring Tom Hardy, and that's on Netflix, hasn't been given a date yet. But if you're not excited by the idea of Gareth Evans and Tom Hardy breaking some heads and shooting some fools, then honestly, I don't know what to, to, I don't know what to do with you. In my opinion, it should already win Best Picture, and I haven't seen any of it. But <laughs> the big Oscars bait hasn't been dated yet, no. but we know The Killers of the Flower Moon is coming, coming out this year. So that's also what I'm very much looking forward to. Jimbo, what about you? We, have, we haven't heard uh, one from your list for a while. Should we start with number 10? So this is the lowest on my list, but in many ways the most important, and it is Dungeons and Dragons, <gasps> colon, Honor Among Thieves, for yes. so many, many, many reasons. Partly because it's D&D, so it's inherently brilliant, 
Uh, also, yeah. it's got Pine, it's got Rodriguez, it's got Rayjean Page in it. But also, and Chris, you will appreciate this. Mm-hmm. It's obviously John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein, mm-hmm. directors of The Immortal Game Night, aka mm-hmm. one of the best comedies ever made. So, wow. uh, and and this the trailer of this, who are just you? Destroyed me. <laughs> who are you? And what have you done? I love stuff? Game Night. I absolutely love Game Night, and I loved the trailer for this. And you know, while in many ways for me, nerdery like D and D is no laughing matter. Uh, I, I quite like. I, I think it's good. I think it's, it brings a it brings a nice a nice charming take on Dungeons and Dragons, uh, which will make up for the previous ones. Fully agreed. You know my opinions on Game Night. I think it's the best, uh, certainly mainstream comedy of the last ten years. I think it's uh, astonishing. Blanco seems perplexed. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm mostly perplexed because Game Night is. And let me just get this straight. It's a comedy. I know. Yeah. I don't. I don't understand. Yeah, James, I'm unpredictable. This is not your. This is not your traditional territory. Though I know you have your moments. Oh no, he died. <laughs> yeah, it's the greatest line reading in cinema history. Uh, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, I'm, I've seen a couple of clips from this movie and it looks very, very funny and it, it goes left and you think it's going to mm. go right and so on, which is the, the Goldstein and Daly way. So I'm, I'm very, very excited about this one. That was Indeed, very close but again, to my list. Not my list. Mm. I mean, it's great that we go from cocaine bear to owl bear also. <laughs> Yeah, oh, very good. There was indeed an owlbear in the trailer, which I was very, very pleased to see. Wow. While we're doing sort of like name recognition, I will say that you may have chosen Killers of the Flower Moon, but I would argue that the better moon is, of course, Rebel Moon, which is Zack Snyder's film, yes. which is like Seven Samurai in Space, aka Battle Beyond the Stars, aka Sophia Butella recruiting warriors from planets to defend some colony somewhere. And I want to see it. I need to see it in many ways. Yes. Um, yeah, I... I'm very excited about this one as well. Uh, all all two parts of it. Yeah, I forgot that was this year, actually. <laughs> yeah. That's intriguing. Yeah, it's going to be later on this year. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Good choice. That was a good choice, Jimbo. Two good, two good choices. Two left-field choices. Blanco, have you got a left-field choice? Uh, I've got a potentially left-field choice, although I, I think it's, it's a fairly straightforward choice. It is Renfield. Renfield. Me too. Yeah. Renfield. I'm really quite looking forward to it. I was already kind of on board with the Nicholas Holt of it all because he's really earned by respect in things like The Great and obviously The Favourite and and many things that that man the has menu. done. The menu recently. The menu most recently, yeah. And then we have the Nicholas Cage element. Nicholas Cage's pop art Dracula, which honestly I cannot wait to see. Mm. Uh, I think the trailer is dropping today as we record mm-hmm. this, so I cannot wait to see it. It will be out by what the time we do this. <laughs> I'll be crushed. I will be crushed. Yes, yes, Chris, edit this bit out if the trailer is terrible. But right now, we're super excited about Renfield. Super excited. I mean, it's it's just got so many things I'm excited about. I think Chris McKay is a funny director. I like Lego Batman. And mm. it's got Aquafina in it, and she's pretty great in a lot of things that she does so I'm absolutely on board for this I think mm. it could be really good I realize it's the 79,000th version of a Dracula story but I think it'll be a nice spin on it and I, nice I want twist. it to be great mm. also stars Shorea Agdashlu aka Christian Avasarala from The Expanse so it's oh, yeah. instantly Jesus a five star right <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, okay. Um, hey, speaking of The Expanse and therefore space and therefore sci-fi how about 65? That's How number seven 65? on my list. That's the lesser-known sexual position. <laughs> <laughs> what is 65? I'm going to look it up. 65 is the Adam Driver versus dinosaurs yes. with a ray gun. I don't think remember that in the Kama Sutra. <laughs> Although I think it would satisfy everybody, am I right? <laughs> We're all doing the Adam Driver with a ray gun. Uh, yeah. Well, it's just, I mean, this is this is something I was actually talking to someone about yesterday. Why don't more movies have dinosaurs in like everybody True. likes a dinosaur why aren't we putting dinosaurs in more movies why is Jurassic Park the only major live action franchise 
with dinosaurs regularly eating people. And, you know, and 65 may offer us a, a, an answer, a solution to that dilemma by having dinosaurs eat people again in a non-Chris Pratt related way. So um, I, just, I just think it looks like a giggle and I hope it is a giggle. Um, and of course, it brings us back to uh, White Noise, uh, Noah Baumbach's film. It's an, yet another reason to put that interview at the start of you this know what? episode. <laughs> I might put it in again now. Here is, <laughs> here is Noah Baumbach. Talking about 65. Talking about, talking about White Noise. Do please enjoy. To my shame, I hadn't read this book, so I had no idea what to expect. And the film kept surprising me and surprising me. Uh, when, when did you first come across it? Is this something you read years and years ago and sort of returned to? It's, yeah, it's something I read... Uh, my dad had given it to me in the late eighties and I read it uh, when I was a sort of older teenager and loved it. And then there are various sort of piece images from it that had stayed with me over the years, the pill and the cloud and the motel and the man in the motel and the secrets. And, but I, I hadn't, I didn't have any, uh, any ambition to to do anything about it i just uh i but i just i randomly picked it up again and started reading it again uh at the end of 2019 and into the beginning of 2020 and i kept while i was reading it i kept reading passages aloud to greta and saying like can you believe this this is it just feels I just felt like it was expressing all of this, these things that I was feeling about life now. I mean, it's life always in America, I think, but it's, it's, uh, and it has that, there's something about the book that feels like it could have been written after any, any event you'd be like, I can't believe this is, uh, but of course, when the pandemic, uh, happened, I, it, it was just another layer of strange, uncanniness about that book that felt like it was that that it was speaking it certainly was speaking to me about the moment and i felt like it was there's a way i could express myself in a movie that uh express how i was feeling through this story yeah because it does it feels incredibly contemporary for something you know set and written in the 80s and you've got all these ideas about you know consumerism and and the media and and this kind of rolling continuous media that that feels absolutely now it feels it feels absolutely up to the minute which i guess is just a sign of how good don delillo is but you know it's i i i didn't expect anything like this going into it it's amazing yeah uh, well yeah it's like everything you said is only amplified louder now <laughs> and even the 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 portrayal of academia is the sort of you know competing for students almost that feels like that has only grown and grown mm -hmm. in the years since this was written as well yeah and academia as a in some ways is another way of commodifying culture and 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 flattening out meaning you know i mean it's it's that you could find a a situation where Hitler and Elvis are sort of mean the same thing in some way. Yeah. yeah, I mean that that is an incredible scene in the film with with you know simultaneous Hitler and Elvis lecture going on. If I saw one review that described it as as competitive, but but at the same time it almost felt cooperative and like a duet mm -hmm. almost that yeah. they're sort of playing off each other. 
yeah, and we choreographed it that way as well, so that there, that it was like a dance and like a and like a duet. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of the movie was choreographed. That that scene, it's more expressive and 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 more out front. But but all the scenes, really, all the scenes with movement, we choreographed in 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 a similar uh, way, so that 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 there was a kind of dance and song that was that was uh uh embedded in in inside the you know the the sequences so so i mean i, I know that another part you choreographed apart from the, the dance at the end which i want to talk about because that was amazing but um was also the family scenes and that sense of a big kind of rambunctious family all tumbling over each other with ideas, physically tumbling over each other, getting breakfast mm -hmm. and everything at the same time. That felt wildly true to me, having come from a family of four kids myself. You know, that also had to be kind of quite carefully choreographed, I think, just to get that level of of maybe ease with each other. Is that right? Absolutely. And and rehearsed and we rehearsed it in the in in on the sets as well, because I wanted everybody to know what's their glass you know if, particularly the kids like which which mcdonald's glass do you use which one's yours which one's yours uh where is the silverware which way does that cabinet open you know things that are somewhat simple but they are part of our routines we don't when we go into our own kitchens we we it is like a dance we know exactly where everything is we know how to get around each other where you know you're not bumping into each other you're in you're in this this flow of life and the first part of the movie in particular is is about that flow of life and about these routines and these rituals and and ultimately these strategies that we 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 have for ourselves so as not to confront ourselves uh, in, in many cases. And, um, but I think there's also real beauty and, and, and joy in that as well. And I wanted to express that in the movement and in the dialogue. We, we, um, we mic'd everybody individually so that I would have the, the freedom later to isolate dialogue or play it all as, as one sound. Just one chaotic noise. Yeah, one chaotic sound. Um, I also, my direction to the kids essentially was you're like a radio that's been turned on at the beginning of the movie and you're going to be on for the whole movie. And whether you're in the scene or not, just assume you're still talking. And when you come back in, <laughs> you're just in the middle of one long conversation. Yeah. From some of the interviews I read with Greta, that very much happened. They would just go straight from dialogue into their conversation, back into dialogue. When well, you they, they would again. do that, yeah. As 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 real people as well. They would between uh, you know when we were cutting, they would go out of the dialogue of the movie and then just start talking about <laughs> whatever they were talking about, and it would have the same the same song would be playing. That's awesome. So tell me about these different parts of the movie because that has got to have been. I imagine the most difficult part of the adaptation process is this is a big book. It's a book full of big ideas, and you've got to try and boil this down into movie length, basically. Right. How do you, you know? Where did you start? What did you decide to focus on as your kind of through lines? Well, yeah, and of course, in the beginning, when you when when I was adapting the book, that everything in the book was so uh, exciting to me and funny and observant. So I I had the first my first pass would include so many different things and and it's really once i got through this this first sort of chunk of of of, of screenplay then i 
could look at it as its own thing. And then I could start working the screenplay. And at that point, it started to become more my thing or my uh, my interpretation now of the book. So then th- things would reveal themselves to me more as is either unnecessary or superfluous uh, or repetitive in a way that I felt I didn't need. And I would uh, and I would then start excising things, combining things, and then inventing even within that. And, and, uh, uh, but as a result, then there's so much good stuff that's not in the movie. (laughs) I mean, and I would go back to the book occasionally later if I was looking for something or I remembered something, maybe I cut, I thought I could put back or something. And then I would read, be rereading the book again and be like, God, there's so much good stuff. I, I didn't, <laughs> why is this not in the movie? Why didn't I pick that? You know, but you know, it, 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 it's sort of, it's, it, it, it becomes its own thing. And you, you know, you have, I felt like I, you just follow what, it, what feels like now the movie. So you could do white noise too with basically all the other bits. All the other bits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I do want to talk about just the way it's shot as well, because you've got the sort of the disaster sequence in the sort of the middle of the movie felt very Amblin to me. It felt very kind of 80s, you know, kids, family action movie, mm-hmm. if you like. Um, and then you have this fantastical, brightly lit, beautifully colored dance scene at the end. So you really, it felt like you were experimenting with things and just letting you yourself be led by by the moment. Is that is that fair? Well, it, it feels that way, although it was all very planned, <laughs> um, uh, but I'm glad it feels that way. Well, the book felt that way to me, and the book uses tro- sort of tropes of American narratives, culture, language, and it does it in, in a very literary way. And I felt like well, I, my job was to find these cinematic analogs for those things, and a lot of it was the language of these movies, these movies, and often movies from the, a lot of movies from the 80s because it's when it took place. It's also formative time in my childhood of when I was discovering movies sort of on my own. And and um, I mean, it, as opposed to things my parents maybe brought me to or, and, and uh, so I sort of, and, and much of what the movie's about is how we've essentially we we absorb all of this stuff from entertainment and 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 sometimes it becomes hard to distinguish between what's on TV and what's what's really in our what's our what what's really our lives i mean that you see it with the family in in the movie where when real danger is coming they somehow can't it takes them a long time to acknowledge it the kids are ahead of it but the parents are sort of feel like well this can't actually be happening this is only something that happens somewhere else and i think i think it's something certainly i related very strongly to that feeling when the with the pandemic which was well can't happen here yeah it's not yeah. happening over here it's happening somewhere else and and so i i felt well this is a way i can express you know that that sort of i mean uh how we you know just i mean i think it really uh, one of the things the movie is really about is sort of this changing idea of death i mean this idea that we have that death is is it's we, we we make part of our entertainment it's the car crashes in the beginning of the movie it's the it's watching a plane crash in New Zealand on your television um and it becomes hard to really 
you know, it's hard, it's hard anyway. And this is a way that we maybe bring it closer and also keep it at a distance. Uh, and when it really comes in the form of the cloud, it, it changes how they all go back to life, you know, I mean, and, and can you go back to the same strategies and rituals that you, that you did before? And if you can, how does it change those things? And does it change those things? And in the movie it does. And, you know, and it changes visually, the camera changes in part three, the, the we shoot the family in the supermarket in the beginning of the movie, we essentially just move with them. It's fairly straightforward when we're with them in, in, part three, both times that. And then of course, at the end with the dance sequence, the camera suddenly does things that it, it's, that it couldn't possibly have done before. It's, it's sort of liberated in a way. And I think that's part of what I see too is, I mean, there's a cynical way of looking at it of sort of like, oh, we're all just going back and shopping. But there's also, I feel real beauty and joy and liberation in that we've been also something that, that has released us from you know, maybe there's this sort of prisons that we've sort of <laughs> made for ourselves. You see it with the family too. the family. Essentially, death is what keeps them apart and also what brings them together in the end. And Jack and Babette are closer, but they've also gone through a lot to get there and had to go into areas that they you know, may not have wanted to go to. Yeah, and, and taken some odd, odd steps. Some along odd the steps way. and almost killed a man. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's fine. They got him to a hospital. For the they got to a hospital, and they're back at the supermarket. <laughs> um, no, I, I thought it was. I, I just thought it was so original, and like I say, just unlike anything I'd ever seen before. I have to ask just quickly before I, I let you go. Um, you know, your your household is also been working on a Barbie movie. Do you see any kind of common threads between that and this? Um, I do actually. I mean, they were both written in the pandemic, and I think, in 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 the best way, both have a touch of madness in there. That <laughs> uh, that uh, you know that was maybe particular to our headspaces at that time. <laughs> and a bit more choreography there, I think. As well, There's probably. also choreography in both. Yeah, I mean, essentially, both have uh, are are kind of like musicals in a, in a sense, even when they're not literally like musicals. Can't wait for that one. And, and thanks again for this one. All right. So that was Noah Bomback again, talking about white noise again, and uh, very much looking forward to white noise too when I come out next year. Uh, I'm going to say a film now. Do it. Go on. I'm going to say a film. Uh, just look at my list. The list is life. Hang on. Oh God, it's going to be The Equalizer uh, 3, isn't it? It's not it? going to be The Equalizer 3. It it's going to be It's going to be Wonka. <laughs> Wonka. It's Wonka. not on yes. your list. I, uh, okay. You have the wrong Timothée Chalamet film on your list. <laughs> uh, I, I am here for anything Timmy Two Meats does, as you as you guys know. Uh, I'm here for anything Paul King does, the director of the original Cocaine Bear, Paddington and Paddington 2. <laughs> and this is a movie that he's chosen to make instead of Paddington 3. So ergo, that gives me good vibes. Uh, he's also co-written it with Simon Farnaby once again, so that's exciting. That's and this will really true. excite James. It is a musical, uh -huh. an original musical, a Wonka prequel. Now, ordinarily, that's an eye roll. Mm -hmm. I get it. Mm -hmm. But the music is from the genius that is Northern Ireland's sixth most brilliant person. I'm obviously number five. <laughs> Neil Hannon, a.k.a. The Divine Comedy. And I am very, very excited about that. James is also a fan of that band. <laughs> he can name many of their songs. Many, oh, right many, now, he's, all he's about All of their to. songs. He's I enjoy all, all of the songs from them. Yes. 
They're very good. Like, for example, all, all of the songs. Well, like, like for example, the song entitled <laughs> <laughs> "Song." Jesus Christ! You yeah, I, I do not enjoy the Divine Comedy, but I also can't name any of their songs. So you're an absolute disgrace. Uh, yes, I'm very, very excited about uh, about Wonka. Uh, number nine on my list is the film that was most recently uh, on the cover of Empire Magazine, and it, it is Indiana Jones mm. and the Dial. Of destiny, which may include dinosaurs, Helen. We don't know. That, I mean, we could. It could, and and that would be awesome. Uh, no, I'm 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 hopeful for this one. Um, I think it's uh, promising. I think that trailer would, you know, trailer give me good. a little bit yeah. of a, a zhuzh about it, and and our cover story indeed as well. I think it looks looks really really intriguing. So yeah, I went from being very wary to being rather hopeful for this. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, the, the title would indicate that this is some sort of sequel or maybe even a prequel to Tenacious D in the Pick of Destiny. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so if this movie begins with Harrison Ford saying, a long as fucking time ago when I don't go kaboo, I'd love that. That'd be amazing. <laughs> you it just hold out hope. It would be a choice. It would be a choice if Indy suddenly bust out a, a mm. swear-ridden um, rock song that'd be incredible but yeah anyone else Blanco are you excited about Indy returning I am for the I last am. time absolutely uh, well I mean less that it's the last time but I'm, I'm quite excited by this after you know it's been a long time since the last crusade mm. so you know I, I <laughs> yeah. am really looking forward to having Indiana Jones back on my screen I, I really I really can't wait to see what they've done with it I, I have to admit the whole let's de-age Indy idea sort of gave me vague pause but then I see it a version of it in the trailer. I think that's actually pretty good. It looks good. Right. Yeah. Do you know yeah. who else has got fake paws? Cocaine bear. <laughs> so. I, we've moved on to owl bear. Come on. Oh, sorry, my mistake. Uh, yeah, I'm excited about this. Be interested to see what they do. It's been 34 years since the last Indiana Jones film. Mm-hmm. Can they recapture the magic? We will find out when it's we'll out see. later on in the year. Uh, and speaking of, you know, uh, we're running out of time, so I'm going to talk really quickly. Uh, the, speaking of action icons trying to recapture the magic one last time, it's time for me to mention it. The Equalizer 3. Uh, it's happening, and there's nothing you could do to stop it. And I'm sure it'll be fine. I mean, speaking of action icons... <laughs> Helen? What do you want me to say? Helen? It's the Equalizer. Like, you're the only person... You are. Who cares? I'll watch it, and I'll happily yeah, watch it. I'll totally watch it. You know, it's so no John Wick Chapter 4. Exactly. So. It's no Dead Reckoning, is Listen, it? Listen, I'm going to watch it for the first time, and the only disappointment in it for me is that I don't oh, get to God. do it twice. Yeah. It's... When you see when Denzel's going to go into that room, it's a reunion with Dakota Fanning. It's uh-huh. Man on Fire too, as that's well true. as the Equalizer. Yeah. His art is death. Yeah, that's lovely. Denzel's um, art is death, and he's about to paint his masterpiece. I think he's great. I think he's great. I this love is going to make virtuosity look like heart condition. Virtuosity. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, okay, John Wick Chapter Four, though. Yes! Yes! Come on! Come on! So this yes! is, we think, the penultimate. We think, yeah. Yeah. But we don't know for sure. No. It might depend on how I much money it makes. <laughs> I interviewed Chance Tehelski uh, for the recent preview. And I was like, you know, are you ever going to make a film at some point that's not a John Wick movie? And he was like, <laughs> well, I've got plans. He's still got, he's attached to Highlander and whatnot. But he said, yeah, I've got plans. But Keanu and I get together every couple of years. We make these batshit insane movies in which we can cram in all kinds of stuff onto the <laughs> studio radar thematic stuff mm. stuff that he's obsessed with he's a you know, big art nerd he's you know he's he's very very smart dude Chad Tehelski mm. we basically have Kate you know Kate Blanchett to they do whatever Blanchett, we want yeah. so why wouldn't we keep on doing these 
for as long as we possibly can. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm excited about John Wick Chapter Four, Donnie Yen. I mean, yeah, I just need to stop there. But I've Scott Adkins is yeah. yep. Donnie Yen. Scott Adkins. You have um, uh, Bill Skarsgård is is in it as well. Very, very exciting indeed. How's, how's John Wick going to bounce back from literally bouncing back onto the pavement <laughs> after taking a tumble off the continental roof, spoiler alert, for at the end of chapter three? Oh, oh it's exciting. I can't, cannot wait. It's, cannot wait. Yeah, that's very, very high on my list. Is it the action movie of the year for you that you're anticipating now? Well, uh, so the, the top of my list is very action heavy apart from Barbie. Um, because I also obviously have Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning up there. Oh, part one. Same. Part one mm. with um, Tom Cruise throwing himself off everything. Um, I, and I'm super, super hyped about that because, you know, that team has not put a foot wrong in recent years. Um, there will be action also in Dune. Part Dune! Two. There we go. Part um, two! Which is going to get pretty, uh, pretty epic, I think. And I, uh, yeah... Sandworms on the attack. Come on. Okay, so so talk me through this because obviously I haven't I haven't read James Herbert's Dune. I, I'm trolling. I'm trolling. Uh, I haven't read Frank Herbert's Dune, so I don't know. Is is the second part action heavy? Have they stopped yeah. before the good stuff? No, no. no. So he's got to, he's got to train as a Fremen. Uh, well, of course he has, and, and sort of integrate him, integrate himself into that culture. I've been drinking my own shit for years. Okay, that's not <laughs> quite how that works, but okay, um, whatever does it for you, Chris. Uh, but he also then has to essentially get his own back in it, and yeah. uh, fight the forces of essentially the entire galaxy to a standstill. Mm-hmm. Does he go to Kazadum? Yes. Um, in a manner of speaking, <laughs> just not literally. Uh, but yeah, it's it's genuinely it's going to be it's going to be pretty epic, and, and in ways that the first one was criticised for not being. Yeah, well, the first one was very lightly I mean, criticised. There was a little bit of like it could have had epic. a bit more action, but right. this is going to have a lot more action. Blanco, are you looking forward to Dune Part Two before James filibusters the rest of this podcast? <laughs> I am indeed looking forward to Dune Part Two. I'd like it known to listeners. Uh, who don't actually get to be in the studio, whenever the cry of the D word happens, it's extremely painful in the ears. <laughs> and I mean June, not any other D word, just Chris, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I am excited by by June Part 2. I, I think it's going to be great. I think the first film was beautifully brought to life. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I don't think this team can fail because you're adding people like Florence Pugh... You're adding pew, all pew, sorts pew. of Christopher Walken. Christopher yep. Walken, for crying out Cuthbert, loud. Cuthbert, Dibble and Grub. Yeah. Yep. 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 Well, they're incredibly expensive, but yeah, <laughs> they really are. It's, yeah, it's going to be pretty epic. It's going to be it's so very good. exciting. I am excited, but I knew you guys would would take care of it in the top ten. So yeah, Th- there is one yeah, other I, film on my list we haven't discussed, but I'll let James go. There over. is another. I think I I'm thinking Helen that our top three might be identical. Mm. So that was that's, what have you got? that that well because I had at number three John Wick Chapter Four, right? And number two Dead Reckoning, and number one obviously two. Uh, so ah you know. no, my number two. I haven't mentioned yet. That's the one I haven't. Oh, okay. A there's, wrinkle, there's a couple. wrinkle in time, a wrinkle in oh, time. Oh, that would be a great movie. It's a great movie. Great, great book. Great book. But uh, no, my number two. Uh, that sounds wrong. If you didn't like the film, you should definitely read the book. In the number two p- position. It, no, that sounds wrong too. Oh, anyway, yeah, we've gone sixty-five again. <laughs> it's Adam in Driver se- with a ray gun. <laughs> in second place, Spider-Man. Across yes. the Spider-Verse. Yes. yes. See, that's not on my list. You Unknowingly, are not on my list. Like, I'm excited to see it, but I just I'm not quite as orgasmic about it as obviously the others are. Like I very want to see it, but it's in the same way that I want to see Quantum Mania and I want to see the Marvels. Really want to see it, but it's just not in my top ten. It is no, it is no Dungeons and Dragons on Remote. I mean, honestly, I'm I'm super excited about Dungeons and Dragons, but like Spider Spider-Man in, into the Spider-Verse was 
one of the greatest animated films ever made and uh, one of the greatest superhero films ever made. And so, Steady. Second best superhero is. film of that year? Yeah, it's... Well, uh, look, I don't want to get into Sorry, that. third best. List. I forgot um, and the Wasp came out that year as well. Good God. <laughs> anyway, it's it's a very, very, very good film and I am very, very excited to see what they do next because yes. it kind of does feel like they're, you know, they're making the right decisions to... To kind of push it, push the envelope even further. Yeah, absolutely. They are they are big fans of envelope pushing, which is actually really boring if you do it in real life. <laughs> if you get an envelope and push it, it's not that exciting. Wouldn't recommend. Uh, Blanco, where do you stand on Spider Man? On his head, so he can't see you, obviously. But that seems very mean. Yeah. Uh, I am very excited for Across the Spider Verse, which I believe will have Sonny Birch in it, because you know, multiverse can do whatever they like. Uh, all right, maybe, maybe not, maybe not. But don't you fuck with me? Don't you fuck with my emotions? <laughs> <laughs> Gotta raise your hope and then crush it. Uh, yeah, I, I'm. I I can't wait to see what they do. Again, it's people who've proved themselves in the first film to be absolutely blooming brilliant. And I, I don't see how they screw up the second one, although let's wait and see. Mm. Let's hope not. Let's hope not. Um, one other film I wanted to mention, because mm-hmm. we haven't mentioned it yet, and I'm not sure it's on anyone's list but mine, but it's Shazam! Fury of the Gods. I really yeah. like the first one. I like the first fine. one. I love the first one. I'm a big fan of the director. I think Zachary Levy knocked it out of the park as, as, as the lead. I think the kids were charming. And it's got Helen Mirren and Lucy Lewis, the bad guys. And I mean, Rachel Segler. And Rachel Segler. What's not to love about that? There's what is a, not to love? The, the trailer has a Fast and Furious joke in it to Helen Mirren, who is in the Fast and Furious films. Yes. So, you think she had to be reminded of that? <laughs> <laughs> she likes doing those she films. Loves she yeah, loves she it. Loves she has them. a good old time. Yeah. Yeah. You don't think she's gone full like Gwyneth? Which, like, was I in it? Was <laughs> no, I? no. She, she literally that. named her character after one of her mum's friends as a kid. Really? Yeah. I, I think okay. she's very much like, oh, yes. Oh, yes. The, the, the bald fellow with the gravelly voice. I remember now. I, <laughs> Oh, which one? <laughs> which one? There were several Bond fellows with with gravelly voices in that project, as I recall. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. No, that's that's an interesting. Genuinely, move. genuinely hopeful. It's going to be great. I mean, I I want all the films to be great, and mm-hmm. I think Shazam: Fury of the Gods could be a lot of fun. I, I thought the first film was a heck of a lot of fun, so I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to it until it inevitably gets completely removed from the timeline by. DC's future. We'll see. Um, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Is Aquaman exactly. 2 the other one that's on your list, Helen, by the way? <laughs> no, we've, this... we've gone through my entire list at this point. But I mean, look, I, I actually rewatched the other, the original Aquaman the other night and it is a ton of fun. Why? He's having, I don't, <laughs> Did you he's ha- it, I mean, admittedly, it's not good. <laughs> but like, no, no just, it's not. He's got such kind of joy in his own physicality. Like there, there's, there's such a sense of kind of, yeah, just, just, pleasure in everything he does that it kind of is infectious and carried me along and there's this freaking squid or octopus playing bongos <laughs> there is uh okay we're really really in the home stretch now but this is a this is or was going to be a big year for the dceu mm. now things have changed post james gunn mm. peter safran who of course ironically is a producer of shazam oh. fury of and the aquaman and aquaman as well but so he's he's kind of happy i guess safran to put that part of his career and his legacy behind him and and, and make it into a legacy. Because uh, The Flash is also out this year. <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, we'll have to wait and see whether, whether it does get... Uh, tax right off the movie uh, yeah. might be a cracker. But listen, oh. it's exciting. Michael Keaton back as Batman... I'm I'm there for that. Ben Affleck as Batman. I'm there for that. Mm. Uh, we shall we shall see what happens. But I, I'm gonna we're gonna really really quickly. Have we mentioned your number two yet? My, we have, yes, it was yeah, Spider Man. It was Spider Man. Yeah. Is there anything on your list that we haven't mentioned? Nope, I have gone through it. Anything on your list we haven't mentioned? I have Oppenheimer, which is yeah, ah, yeah. yeah. Which is so big. 
So in the in the in the war of the opening days, are you going to be Oppenheimer then Barbie or Barbie then Oppenheimer? It's going to be have to be Barbie then Oppenheimer all the way. Yeah. Let's be honest. I have to show my loyalty to Greta Gerwig. Yeah, I, there's just no other way. I'm sorry. There's just no other way. Sorry, Chris. Sorry, Chris. Love you, Anthony. You're a great director, but. But Greta wins. <laughs> right now at his home in LA, Chris Nolan has taken off his headphones and thrown them down. <laughs> Damn the you, Blanco! <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. It's the last time I listened to this podcast. Uh, all right. Oppenheimer. Yeah, very, very excited about that. And also a big role for Robert Downey Jr., one of his first post MCU. So mm. uh, excited about that. And uh, I'm going to mention real quick Creed 3. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love both Creed movies I think they're great this is mm. very interesting for a number of reasons Michael B. Jordan is directing it mm. as well it is the first yep. Rocky movie to not have Rocky in it yeah. uh, mm-hmm. at all so how will that work will we miss Sly Stallone will we miss Rocky Balboa uh, and of course it's Jonathan Majors as his opponent yeah. and this is the villain of 23 this is the Majors year for Jonathan Majors yeah. he is Kang in Ant-Man the Wasp Quantumania I still have a sneaky suspicion we're going to see him in at least one more MCU movie and not to mention some of the TV shows are going to be coming out this year I would not be amazed if he were in the Marvels for example uh, we shall see uh, so I'm excited about that one I'm excited about let me see uh, Indiana Jones mentioned Murder Mystery 2 yeah sure obviously that's my most anticipated film of the year I can't wait to see insert name of Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aniston's characters here <laughs> back together again solving another mystery this is the movie the glass onion could have been and unthankfully <laughs> <laughs> I'm very excited Good about gosh. it uh, genuinely though if you haven't seen Murder Mystery it's on Netflix right now it is a ton of fun um, but the other movie I'm going to mention is Evil Dead Rise of course yeah um, that was a bit scary for me I watched the trailer and, and was like okay I'm scared I'm too scared to put this on my list but it is I a see, very scary trailer. I, I yeah, I, I had to I had to confess today to our very own Ben Travis that apart from Army of Darkness, I don't like the Evil Dead films. Chris, I'm sorry. I know this is where our friendship ends officially, but I I, I just I just don't. I'm going to try something. James, keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> it worked. It worked. James has left the podcast. <laughs> no, he's back. He's back. <laughs> that was ungroovy, Jimbo. That was ungroovy. Um, Sorry. My apologies. Yeah, I'm... I'm. Twitter of late, film Twitter seems to have embraced the Fede Alvarez. Uh, it's not a remake, mm. uh, but the reboot quill of Evil Dead as a classic that's worthy to stand alongside the others. I'm not there yet, uh, but I might be there with this one. We shall see. The trailer came out yesterday. It looks really good. New, different, uh, in a tower block, possessed mother, possessed kids chainsaw action some wild looking shots Sam Raimi not directing this one obviously this is Lee Cronin the Irish filmmaker um, but yeah I'm going to hold out hope I'm going to hold out hope that this is one of the one of the belters of the year Amen Amen indeed Well we have hope for all of them I We mean, have hope every yeah, day and many many Eve. more Indeed and yeah. there will be many many more films added to the, the list over the next few months as well uh, but those are the most anticipated films that we are looking forward to right now and on that note that is it for this impromptu 2023 preview Uh, Thank you so much for listening to it. We'll be back next week with the regular show and of course our live show at King's Place, our 550th episode. Tickets for that are on sale right now. Go to kingsplace.co.uk. It's on February 2nd. That's a Thursday on the evening of that day. It's going to be an absolute belter, folks. Less than a month. Ha! But it'll be an absolute belter. So if you want to join us for that, uh, go along to kingsplace.co.uk to pick up the tickets. But in the meantime, in the meantime, it is time to say goodbye to my three colleagues of such lethal cunning all the way from Port Stewart, <laughs> Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. I'm, I'm here, though. I'm okay. here. 
All right. Yeah, sure. Of course you are. Hologram technology has really come on leaps and bounds. All the way from his wank dungeon in Redacted, <laughs> it's James Dyer. Uh, good boy. I'm off to do a 65 with Adam Driver's ray gun. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. Uh, Where are you going to put the dinosaur? Oh, my word. Don't tell me. <laughs> oh, my word. Uh, and uh, <laughs> thankfully, my vision is based on... Mo- no, that doesn't matter. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> and it's goodbye from Blanco all the way from LA. Farewell until probably next year. Oh, such a shame. Such a shame. But now you can dial in. Uh, yeah. So please put me on the podcast more. Please. No. All right. And it's goodbye <laughs> from me as well. Uh you know what I'm off to do, folks? I'm off to listen to an interview that Helen did with the director of White Noise, <laughs> Noah Baumbach, when he came into London for the LFF back in October. The film is, of course, based on the unadaptable book by Don DeLillo. Noah Baumbach took that challenge personally <laughs> as he discusses here in this interview with Helen O'Hara, which you're going to listen to now. So that's our parting shot to you. Uh, have a great start to the year, everybody. And here it is, the dulcet tones of Noah Baumbach. Do please enjoy. To my shame, I hadn't read this book, so I had no idea what to expect, and the film kept surprising me and surprising me. Uh, when when did you first come across it? Is this something you read years and years ago and sort of returned to? It's, yeah, it's something I read. Uh, my dad had given it to me in the late 80s, and I read it uh, when I was a te- sort of older teenager and loved it and then there are various sort of piece images from it that had stayed with me over the years the pill and the cloud and the motel and the man in the motel and the secrets and but i i hadn't i didn't have any uh any ambition to to do anything about it i just uh i but i just I randomly picked it up again and started reading it again uh, at the end of 2019 and into the beginning of 2020. And I kept, while I was reading it, I kept reading passages aloud to Greta and saying, like, can you believe this? This is, it just feels, I just felt like it was expressing all of this, these things that I was feeling about life now. I mean, it's life always in America, I think, but it's, it's, uh, and it has that, there's something about the book that feels like it could have been written after any, any event you'd be like, I can't believe this is, uh, but of course, when the pandemic, uh, happened i it it was just another layer of strange uncanniness about that book that felt like it was that that it was speaking it certainly was speaking to me about the moment and i felt like it was there's a way i could express myself in a movie that uh express how i was feeling through this story yeah, because it does. It feels incredibly contemporary for something you know set and written in the eighties, and you've got all these ideas about you know consumerism and and the media and and this kind of rolling continuous media that that feels absolutely now. It feels it feels absolutely up to the minute, which I guess is just a sign of how good Don DeLillo is. But you know, it's I I I didn't expect anything like this going into it. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's like everything you said is only amplified louder now <laughs> and even the 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 portrayal of academia as the sort of you know competing for students almost that feels like that has only grown and grown mm-hmm. in the years since this was written as well 
yeah, and academia as a, in some ways, is another way of commodifying culture and 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 flattening out meaning. You know, I mean, it's it's that you could find a, a a situation where Hitler and Elvis are sort of mean the same thing in some way. Yeah, I mean that that is an incredible scene in the film with with you know simultaneous Hitler and Elvis lecture going on. If I saw one review that described it as as competitive, but but at the same time it almost felt cooperative and like a duet mm -hmm. almost that yeah. they're sort of playing off each other. Yeah, and we choreographed it that way as well, so that there that it was like a dance and like a and like a duet. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of the movie was choreographed. That that scene it's more expressive and 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 more out front, but but all the scenes, really, all the scenes with movement, we choreographed in 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 a similar uh, way, so that 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 there was a kind of dance and song that was that was uh, uh, embedded in, in inside the, you know, the the sequences. So, so I mean, I, I know that another part you choreographed, apart from the, the dance at the end, which I want to talk about because that was amazing, but. Um, was also the family scenes and that sense of a big kind of rambunctious family all tumbling over each other with ideas, physically tumbling over each other, getting breakfast mm -hmm. and everything at the same time. That felt wildly true to me, having come from a family of four kids myself. You know, that also had to be kind of quite carefully choreographed, I think, just to get that level of of maybe ease with each other. Is that right? Absolutely. And, and rehearsed and we rehearsed it in the in in on the sets as well because i wanted everybody to know what's their glass you know if, particularly the kids like which which mcdonald's glass do you use which one's yours which one's yours uh where is the silverware which way does that cabinet open you know things that are somewhat simple but they are part of our routines we don't when we go into our own kitchens we we it is like a dance we know exactly where everything is we know how to get around each other where you know you're not bumping into each other you're in you're in this this flow of life and the first part of the movie in particular is is about that flow of life and about these routines and these rituals and and ultimately these strategies that we 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 have for ourselves so as not to confront ourselves uh, in, in many cases. And, um, but I think there's also real beauty and, and, and joy in that as well. And I wanted to express that in the movement and in the dialogue. We, we, um, we mic'd everybody individually so that I would have the, the freedom later to isolate dialogue or play it all as, as one sound. Just one chaotic noise. Yeah, one chaotic sound. Um, I also, my direction to the kids essentially was you're like a radio that's been turned on at the beginning of the movie and you're going to be on for the whole movie. And whether you're in the scene or not, just assume you're still talking. And when you come back in, <laughs> you're just in the middle of one long conversation. Yeah. Some, from some of the interviews I read with Greta, that very much happened. They would just go straight from dialogue into their conversation, back into dialogue. When well, you they, they would again. do that, yeah, as 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 real people as well. They would between uh, you know when we were cutting, they would go out of the dialogue of the movie and then just start talking about <laughs> whatever they were talking about, and it would have the same the same song would be playing. That's awesome. So tell me about these different parts of the movie because that has got to have been 
I imagine the most difficult part of the adaptation process is this is a big book. It's a book full of big ideas, and you've got to try and boil this down into movie length, basically. Right. How do you, you know? Where did you start? What did you decide to focus on as your kind of through lines? Well, yeah, and of course, in the beginning, when you, when when I was adapting the book, that everything in the book was so uh, exciting to me and funny and observant. So I I had. Uh, the first my first pass would include so many different things and and it's really once i got through this this first sort of chunk of of of, of screenplay then i could look at it as its own thing and then i could start working the screenplay and at that point it started to become more my thing or my uh, my interpretation now of the book so then th things would reveal themselves to me more as is either unnecessary or superfluous uh or repetitive in a way that i felt i didn't need and i would uh and i would then start excising things combining things and then inventing even within that and and uh uh but as a result, then there's so much good stuff that's not in the movie. <laughs> I mean, and I would go back to the book occasionally later if I was looking for something or I remembered something maybe I cut, I thought I could put back or something. And then I would re be rereading the book again and be like, God, there's so much good stuff. I, I didn't, <laughs> why is this not in the movie? Why didn't I pick that? You know, but you know, it, 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 it's sort of, it's, it, it, it becomes its own thing. And you, you know, you have, I felt like I, you just follow what it, what feels like now the movie. So you could do White Noise too with basically all the other bits. All the other bits, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I do want to talk about just the way it's shot as well, because you've got the sort of the disaster sequence in the sort of the middle of the movie felt very Amblin to me. It felt very kind of 80s, you know, kids, family action movie, mm -hmm. if you like. Um, and then you have this fantastical, brightly lit, beautifully colored dance scene at the end. So you really, it felt like you were experimenting with things and just letting you yourself be led by by the moment. Is that is that fair? Well, it, it feels that way, although it was all very planned. <laughs> um, uh, but I'm glad it feels that way. Well, the book felt that way to me. And the book uses sort of tropes of American narratives, culture, language, and it does it in, in a very literary way. And I felt like well, I, my job was to find these cinematic analogs for those things. And a lot of it was the language of these movies, these movies, and often movies from the, a lot of movies from the 80s, because it's when it took place. It's also formative time in my childhood of when I was discovering movies sort of on my own. And, and um, I mean, it, as opposed to things my parents maybe brought me to or, and, and uh, so I sort of, and, and much of what the movie's about is how we've essentially we we absorb all of this stuff from entertainment and 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 sometimes it becomes hard to distinguish between what's on TV and what's what's really in our what's our what what's really our lives i mean that you see it with the family in in the movie where when real danger is coming they somehow 
can't, it takes them a long time to acknowledge it. The kids are ahead of it, but the parents are sort of feel like, well, this can't actually be happening. This is only something that happens somewhere else. And I think, I think it's something certainly I related very strongly to that feeling when the, with the pandemic, which was, well, can't happen here. Yeah. It's not yeah. happening over here. It's happening somewhere else. And, and so I, I felt, well, this is a way I can express you know, that, that sort of, I mean, uh, how we, you know, just, I, I mean, I think it really, uh, one of the things the movie is really about is sort of this changing idea of death. I mean, this idea that we have that death is, is it's, we, we, we make part of our entertainment. It's the car crashes in the beginning of the movie. It's the, it's watching a plane crash in New Zealand on your television. Um, and it becomes hard to really, you know, it's hard, it's hard anyway. And this is a way that we maybe bring it closer and also keep it at a distance. Uh, and when it really comes in the form of the cloud, it, it changes how they all go back to life, you know, I mean, and, and can you go back to the same strategies and rituals that you, you that you did before? And if you can, how does it change those things? And does it change those things? And in the movie, it does. And, you know, and it changes visually, the camera changes in part three, the, the we shoot the family in the supermarket in the beginning of the movie, we essentially just move with them. It's fairly straightforward. When we're with them in, in part three, both times that, and then of course, at the end with the dance sequence, the camera suddenly does things that it, it's that it couldn't possibly have done before. It's, it's sort of liberated in a way. And I think that's part of what I see too is, I mean, there's a cynical way of looking at it of sort of like, oh, we're all just going back and shopping. But there's also, I feel, real beauty and joy and liberation in that we've been also something that, that has released us from, you know, maybe there's this sort of prisons that we've sort of <laughs> made for ourselves. You see it with the family too. The family, essentially death is what keeps them apart and also what brings them together in the end. And Jack and Babette are closer, but they've also gone through a lot to get there and had to go into areas that they you know, may not have wanted to go to. Yeah, and, and taken some odd, odd steps along Some odd the way. steps and almost killed a man. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's fine. They got him to a hospital. For they got him to a hospital so. and they're back at the supermarket. <laughs> um, no, I, I thought it was, I, I just thought it was so original. And like I say, just unlike anything I'd ever seen before. I have to ask just quickly before I, I let you go, um, you know, your, your household is also working on a Barbie movie. Do you see any kind of common threads between that and this? Um, I do actually. I mean, they were both written in the pandemic, and I think, in 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 the best way, both have a touch of madness in there. <laughs> uh, that that uh, you know that was maybe particular to our headspaces at that time. <laughs> and a bit more choreography there, I think. As There's well, also choreography in both. Yeah, I mean, essentially, both have uh, are are kind of like musicals in a, in a sense, even when they're not literally like musicals. Can't wait for that one. And, and thanks again for this one. And that was Noah Bombag. And it's goodbye from me. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.